My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts Society-13.com I like to listen History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 153rd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today's episode, we are featuring the ghosts of the 1871 Infernos. Many of our listeners have probably heard of the Great Chicago Fire, but I bet you haven't heard of the Great Peshtigo Fire. This one was even worse than the Great Chicago Fire. This was suggested to us by Ellen Martin. It was something I had never heard of before. And as I did the research, Denise, I came to find out that there were other fires that happened on this day, October 8th in 1871. There was also something that's called the Great Michigan Fire, which was several cities that burned. So we had these three major fires all on the same day Today, October 8th, 2016, marks the 145th anniversary of that day when they say America burned. Oh, geez, it's amazing how many fires and you wonder why. Well, we're going to tell people a little bit about why. There's some fundamental things that happen, like when it's really dry and you have drought. There's also maybe some weird, odd things that might have caused the fire to happen as well. So we'll get into all of that, talk about the destruction and the ghosts that it's left behind. Before we do that, we want you to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys for all of your well wishes about our second anniversary. And also, a lot of you are sending your prayers and thoughts to us. As we record, we are getting hunkered down for Hurricane Matthew that's about to blow through here. 
hopefully we'll get the show up on time and everything. If we get our power knocked out, that might limit us and delay some of this, but we wanted to get this recorded before we got hit. So hopefully we came through okay. Thank you for all of your warm thoughts and messages that you've sent to us. We want to welcome to the Spectacular crew, Janelle. Hey, Janelle. Maddie. Hi, Maddie. Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Shannon. Hello, Shannon. Jared. Hey, Jared. Lily. Hi, Lily. Wimpy. Hey, Wimpy. Mary, who spells her name like Merry Christmas. Hey, Mary, like Merry Christmas. And Maxwell. Hi, Maxwell. All right, Denise, are you ready to share the 1871 Infernos with everyone? I sure am. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. There is a very peculiar 500-year-old statue that sits atop a fountain in the town of Bern, Switzerland. The statue is called the Kindlefresser, or in English, the Child Eater. The statue features a giant holding a baby in one hand with its head in his mouth, and in his other hand he clutches a bag filled with three other very alarmed-looking children. The scene is quite startling, and no one is sure just who made it or why. Some claim that the giant represents the Greek god Kronos, and as students of mythology know, Kronos ate his own children. Others theorize that he represents the older brother of the founder of Fern, who went mad with jealousy because his younger brother was greater than he, and so he ate many of the town's children. But this is just a legend. It could just be some giant from a fairy tale. Whatever the case may be, this fountain is not only disturbing, but it certainly is odd. out the lights. The party's just getting started. This Day in History On this day, October 8th, in 1856, the Second Opium War begins. This war had the Qing Dynasty coming against the British and French empires. The First Opium War had ended in 1842 with Western powers signing treaties with the Chinese that the Chinese referred to as unequal treaties. This was supposed to enhance trade, but it really enhanced Western imperialism. The British really wanted to legalize the opium trade, send Chinese people's indentured servants, and open up the ports with no taxes on foreign imports. Many conflicts arose and finally came to the head on October 8th when the Chinese boarded a ship called the Arrow. The ship had been Chinese-owned and was supposedly committing acts of piracy and smuggling 
and the Chinese arrested the crew of 12. The British were angered because they had just purchased the ship and had it sailing under their flag. They demanded that the prisoners be released. The Chinese refused and the British attacked the forts on Canton. The French joined the British and the Americans and Russians offered support. The war ended in 1860 after several more treaties and battles with the ratification of the Treaty of Tianjin. In the end, opium was legalized, the Chinese paid France and Britain 8 million taels, and freedom of religion was granted in China. You're listening to History Goes Bump! Today marks the 145th anniversary of a day when terrible fires wiped out cities and took the lives of thousands of people in 1871. One fire, the Great Chicago Fire, is well known, but there were other big fires, including one that not many people know about that actually claimed more lives, and that was the Peshtigo Fire. The summer had been abnormally dry, and it did not take much for the fires to spark and spread. The stories about these disasters are tragic, leaving behind emotions and turmoil that seem to fuel paranormal activity. And then there's this odd twist that these deadly fires occurred on the same day. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the 1871 infernos. For those of you who don't have a map sitting in front of you, which I assume is most of you, especially if you're driving, none of the cities that we're going to be mentioning are anywhere near each other. So it's not like This fire passed to this city, to this city, to this city. So it could be the same winds blowing through these cities, but it's not the same fire jumping from one city to the next. Port Huron is a city in Michigan and lies at the southern end of Lake Huron, from which it takes its name. The city was incorporated in 1857 and drew people to work in the thriving timber and shipbuilding businesses. It grew to be one of the biggest villages in the area. The city of Holland is in Michigan as well. It grew out of a settlement of Dutch Calvinists in 1847. Other churches came to the area, and soon Holland was known as the City of Churches. Manistee is yet another Michigan city, and it is located on the Manistee River, from which it takes its name, off of Lake Michigan. It began as a Jesuit mission. The city was established in 1841 when a sawmill was built there. These three Michigan cities are located far apart from each other, but they all share something in common the Great Michigan Fire of 1871. The city of Chicago was a nexus of industry in the late 1800s. The grand city sat between the agricultural west and the manufacturing east. The Chicago River that divided the city into three parts was bustling with commercial traffic and the city was expanding. The downtown had a courthouse and the chamber of commerce. Money and people were flowing into the city a city built from wood, both structurally and economically. Timber businesses left stacks of lumber and yards along the south branch of the Chicago River. Sidewalks built from wood wound for about 561 miles, and 57 miles of street were paved in wood. A very dry city full of wood led to a horrible tragedy, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Peshtigo is a town in Wisconsin situated on the Peshtigo River, from which it takes its name. The word Pistigo is Native American and means either snapping turtle or wild goose. The area was first settled in 1838. It was incorporated as a village in 1887 and as a city in 1903. White pine forests nearby were used to not only build the settlement, but as a means of commerce. 
logging and wood products were the main business in Peshtigo, and that still is the same today. This proximity to the forest and the large amounts of wood in the city made this a dangerous place to live in the unseasonably dry year of 1871, and the result would be one of the worst natural disasters in U.S. history, the Great Peshtigo Fire of 1871. So even though people probably have not heard of this, and they've more than likely heard about the Great Chicago Fire, this one was one of the worst natural disasters. October 8th in 1871 was a Sunday. The summer had been hot with only about one-fourth of the normal precipitation. A great wind was blowing across the Midwest, literally. Wind gusts topped 100 miles per hour. And almost as though the stars aligned in the most perfect and macabre way for the fire elemental. On this one day, thousands would die in enormous fires. This is the kind of record that not even Guinness would want to record. It's the kind of coincidence that causes people to stop believing in coincidences. These great fires would destroy and forever change cities. Chicago would arise from the conflagration greater than it had been before. The other cities, particularly Peshtigo, would be affected for years to come and even build an entire cemetery for the victims. The elemental fire demon would have his day in a major way. This was the day that America burned. G. Van Shelvin of Holland, Michigan, described what he witnessed as fire came to his town. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the wind turned southwesterly and began gradually to increase. The fire alarm was rung, and from this time on, the fighting of the fire all along the timber track south and southwest of the city was kept uninterruptedly. As night advanced, the wind increased in force, until at midnight it blew a hurricane, spreading the fire and the flames with an alarming velocity toward the doomed city. The huge bark piles at the Kappen and Birch Tannery in the western and the third reformed church in the southern part of the city were among the first points attacked. From thence on, the devastating fire fiend had a full and unmolested sway. And it was really neat, Denise, as I did the research, I was able to find a lot of these first-hand accounts. I think this is the best way to describe the fires to people because you're getting a feel for it as people were experiencing it rather than reading what a newspaper was reporting because nobody really knows exactly how everything went about, you know, this happened at this time, this happened at that time. There's not really a play-by-play. And so I think these personal accounts are the best. Oh, absolutely. And listen to the way he described it. (laughs) Do you think it's a coincidence we're talking about this when we're going to be ready to experience our own hurricane here? It really was like a fire hurricane or a fire tornado that they had come through. This is an account from Manistee. A bright light came up out of the south, directly in rear of the town, and the fierce gale bearing it on directly towards the doomed city. Those who resided in that part of town, including the writer, rushed to the new scene of danger, the full extent of which few comprehended. The fire had originated two miles south of the city on the lake shore. It first came up from the farm of L.G. Smith Esquire, which it devoured. Eighty rods north, the extensive farm and dairy of E.W. Secor shared the same fate, with all his barns and forage. Another quarter of a mile and the large farm buildings of Mayor R.G. Peters were quickly annihilated. Here the column of fire divided, the left-hand branch keeping to the lakeshore hills and coming in at the mouth, the other taking a northeasterly course and coming in directly south of the town, as before described. Here a small band of determined men, fighting with the energy of despair to protect their homes, kept it at bay until past midnight. But all was in vain. At 12.30 o'clock, the gale became a tornado, hurling great clouds of spark cinders, burning bark and rotten wood, 
threw the air in a terrific fiery storm. Every man now fled to his own house. The fire now came roaring through the dead hemlocks south of the blocks, including between Maple and Oak Streets, in the second ward. The flames leaped to summits of the great hemlocks, 70, 80, or 90 feet high, and threw out great flags of fire against the lurid heavens. The scene was grand and terrible beyond description. To us whose homes and dear ones and all that were in the track of the fire, it was heartrending. So here you have him describing it as a tornado. I've heard firefighters and people who have observed fires saying that they almost seem to have a life of their own. And the way these people are describing it, it really does sound like what we described as a fire elemental demon just ripping through. And just doing as it pleases. People had finished dinner and were getting ready to go to bed, unaware that across the city of Chicago, a small fire would ignite in a barn that would change their lives and the city of Chicago forever. No one is sure exactly how the fire started, but it's believed that the origin of the fire came from a barn behind the home of Patrick and Catherine O'Leary at 13 DeCoven Street. The O'Learys lived with their five children in the cottage less than a mile from town, and the barn housed Mrs. O'Leary's milking business. The theory that is developed as to the cause of the fire involves one of those milking cows. Many believe a cow knocked over an oil lamp that set the straw ablaze. A song even was written about this being the cause. But a newspaper reporter admitted in 1893 that he made the cause up. Possibly this was a rumor started as an anti-Irish slur. We'll never know exactly what the cause was, but we do know the result. A man in Chicago wrote, I jumped out of bed and pulled on my pants. Everybody in the house was trying to save as much as possible. I tied my clothes in a sheet. With my clothes under my arm and my pack on my back, I left the house with the rest of the family. Everybody was running north. People were carrying all kinds of crazy things. A woman was carrying a pot of soup, which was spilling all over her dress. People were carrying cats, dogs, and goats. In the great excitement, people saved worthless things and left behind good things. I saw a woman carrying a big frame in which was framed her wedding veil and wreath. She said it would have been bad luck to leave it behind. Could you imagine all the things that you leave behind and that you save just for luck? Yeah, I saved my wedding veil because I don't know where, I don't know, maybe it's in some countries it's thought of as bad luck to leave your wedding veil to burn. There was an early confidence in the city that the fire would be contained. The Great Fire of Chicago captured the imaginations of newspaper reporters and stories spread across the nation. Victims all had their own stories to tell, making sorting out exactly what transpired very difficult, if not impossible. The fire apparently leapt across the south branch of the river and destroyed Conley's Patch. The courthouse bell rang out the fire alarm but was silenced as the building was engulfed and the bell fell from the tower. The fire moved to the north. The pumping station was burned, halting firefighting efforts. The offices of the Chicago Tribune were consumed. Only rain falling the next day helped to put out the fire. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. There were many contributing factors to the fire that raged through Peshtigo. There was the drought, but it was aggravated by the practice of slash and burn that farms were using to clear land. 
The same slash was being used by railways that left the debris along the track to dry out. Logging companies left timber in piles. The practice of burning this debris was being used, and it's believed that several of these smaller fires were fueled and spread by the great wind blowing through the Midwest. There are some who believe a comet or meteorite started the fire. Robert Covillian, a Pistigo historian, is someone who holds to the impact theory, and he claims that survivors described a horizontal tornado with tremendous winds blowing fire everywhere. Could that be a meteor blast, or could it just be the regular nature of the fire blowing upward? The fire started around 8.30 p.m., and by 10 p.m., the air was completely unbreathable. Pishtigo completely burned in 90 minutes. Whatever the cause, the Pishtigo fire was the deadliest fire in American history. So there you hear a couple of the theories. We've got, it's been very dry, and you've got winds blowing, so all it took was a few sparks to ignite. There's all this wood in the cities. They're leaving all this brush laying around. It's just a tinderbox waiting to go up. But then there's this other little theory. And a lot of people say it's a conspiracy theory or it's a bunch of BS. But there are some who hold to the fact that possibly the Earth passed through the tail of a meteor or something, a comet, and that these little stones, these little meteorites came and impacted. And that's why you had these fires that cropped up in these separate cities all at the same time. You and I don't necessarily believe in coincidences. So I don't think it's a coincidence that this fire started in all these cities at the same time on the same day. Neither do I. So was it because there were meteorites from some kind of comet? We'll never know. But I think it's a theory worth looking at. And we even have an article that we have linked to in the show notes that's called The Comet and the Chicago Fire. And it's pretty interesting. It's something worth reading and just letting your mind wrap around. You know, we love oddities here at History Goes Bump. And so I like looking at things that way. I've been listening to the Vanish podcast. And they were talking about this young boy named Garrett who had gotten lost while he was hiking. Anybody who's read any of the Missing 411 books by David Polites, There's theories out there that maybe when people go missing in forests, it's not just because they've gotten lost or an animal's attacked them or somebody's kidnapped them. There's people who believe maybe they've been abducted by UFOs. Did they step into another dimension? Is there a vortex? Is there some kind of time warp there? I like to play around with all those ideas. So when I look at something like this, I kind of like to look at those theories. Whether it's true or not, it's kind of fun to look at. Something that's not as fun, though, is the results of these fires. When the fires were done with these cities, the devastation was unimaginable. Chicago had lost 300 residents, which I think is pretty low considering how many people were in that town. Oh, exactly. But nearly 90,000 were homeless. Holland and Manistee were completely leveled. No one is sure how many died in the Great Michigan Fire because it was based on families reporting lost loved ones. And there were hundreds of lumberjacks out in the forest, of which 3,900 square miles were burned. So there could have been people out there in camps, hunters, who knows? Anybody who was out in those woods might have had native people out there. You just know, no idea. Most historians estimate around 500 lives were lost in Michigan. Peshtigo was hit the hardest. Estimates of dead are hard here as well, but the number lies somewhere between 1,200 and 2,400 people. Wow. The area burned was about twice the size of Rhode Island. All of the cities rebuilt. Chicago obviously recovered in a big way and came to be known as the jewel of the Midwest. So pretty much everything you see in Chicago now is 
post Great Chicago Fire. And that's kind of how they look at their history. That's like their stamp in their history. And then here's this before, here's this after. And of course, in the times of tragedy, it would seem that human nature is generally good as reflected in an article written in 1871 in the Maynette and Pastigo Eagle. Thank God, even this dire calamity is net without its valuable lessons. Amid the corruptions of society and the callous selfishness of humanity, the good there is in human nature is strikingly apparent in a disaster like this. Carload after carload of provisions, clothing, sanitary supplies, and medical supplies are pouring in. And after the first few days of suffering from want, there will be plenty to relieve the sufferings of the homeless. That's how we handle tragedies and disasters in our present day, is a lot of people give money, give supplies. Of course, before some of these good things happened, we also had the looters. There was violence, especially in Chicago. It was hit very hard right after the fire with people taking advantage of the situation. You're always going to have those kinds. But for the most part, people were helping each other, and that was very good. And the one thing I always think of, it's too bad we have to wait for something horrible like this to happen before we decide to do that. Wouldn't it be so much nicer if we lived that on a regular basis? Ellen, our listener who suggested this, has visited the Pastigo Fire Cemetery, and she shared her thoughts. I found only sadness in the Pastigo Fire Cemetery, almost as if the place itself was sucking any happiness out of me. I made myself look at all the special markers in order to honor and remember those that lost their lives in such a horrible way. I recently found out through genealogy that my great-great-great-grandparents and their family were survivors. I do not know any details about their experience. I do not know if this is haunted or not, but I would think that there must be some kind of activity with so much horror and death going on at the same time in the same place. She also recounted the story of one family. One such is that of a young man who grabbed two of his siblings and rushed to the river. He spent the entire night pouring icy water over their heads to prevent them from catching fire. In the morning, both siblings had died of hypothermia. Can you imagine how tragic that is? And a lot of people, they ran to the rivers to flee the fire, but it's freezing because it's October and that water's cold. Right. That's just, uh, that's just heartbreaking. I know. He thinks he's saving his little brother and sister. And As we research and study haunted history, it would seem that most tragedies have ghost stories connected to them, and there are tales of ghosts from these 1871 infernos. There are ghost towns left in the wake of these fires as well. We cannot find any ghost stories directly connected to the Great Michigan Fire, but there is a ghost town. The town of Singapore had been established in 1836. It sat at the mouth of the Kalamazoo River along Lake Michigan. Once the fire ripped through, Singapore was completely burned and left. No one rebuilt, and the town now sits beneath the sand dunes of Lake Michigan. An interesting twist of fate and connection to this town occurred in 1843 during a huge blizzard the people of Singapore might possibly have starved if not for the shipwreck of the Milwaukee. They survived off its food stores. The Holy Family Church in Chicago was clearly in the path of the Great Fire, but somehow it was spared and no one knows how or why. It is a mystery. Father Damon supervised the building of the church in the 1850s and he loved it. He was away on a mission when he heard about the fire breaking out and legend claims that he prayed to the Virgin Mary to protect the church. A wind seemed to blow the fire in a different direction. Was this some kind of supernatural occurrence and miracle? The church thinks so, and they continue a practice to this day that Father Damien promised to the Virgin Mary. 
He said he would light seven candles in front of her statue in the sanctuary. Today, those candles are electric. Father Damon is reputed to haunt his beloved church and is seen walking through the nave. Hey, Denise, remember on our road trip that we took in 2015 and we went through Chicago and we went and saw that limestone water tower? Yes. That was there in the center of Chicago? It is the only structure in the downtown area that survived the massive fire. Wow. It's built from limestone, as I said, and it's just a magnificent design. It has kind of a castle look to it. I thought it was a really cool building. It's not very big. But very, very cool. Yes. It is also haunted. People ran to this building for refuge, not realizing that smoke inhalation kills more people than actual fire. Many died in this structure, and soon after rebuilding began, there were reports of phantom figures in the tower. Faces are sometimes seen peering from the windows of the empty building. And one man chose a quick and painless death and hanged himself on the upper floor. That hanging man is still seen sometimes to this day in an upper window. It shocks people before it disappears. In Peshtigo, it took over a year for all the bodies to be recovered and buried. People who took refuge in the icy river died of hypothermia. Residents of the town report paranormal activity in many locations. Most experiences are with shadowy figures, both during the day and night, and they are usually seen along the streets. Our infamous Lady in White hangs out on a park at South Ellis Avenue. Apparently, she has long flowing hair, and the kids have nicknamed her the Floaty Lady. She appears just before midnight and seems to be disoriented. Then she just disappears. The Midwestern Paranormal Investigative Network conducted an investigation in Pestigo. Here is what they found. During our review of the evidence, we were pleasantly surprised with what we were able to capture. Numerous EVPs were recorded during the investigation. Due to the circumstances of this location in which an entire town was burned to the ground, much of the investigation was conducted outside. Because of this, many of the EVPs are unable to be cleaned up to the point of presentation, as the EVP itself is difficult to distinguish for the untrained ear from the ambient noise. Video evidence can only be interpreted as inconclusive, although there was some very interesting audio captured both on an SB7 spirit box and an ovalist, which were quite telling and beyond the scope of coincidence. Well, we do have a couple of EVPs that we're going to play for you from the Midwestern Paranormal Investigative Network. As is always the case with EVPs, they are very difficult to hear in audio. So you definitely want to have headphones on to see if you can hear them. I have enhanced the areas where the EVPs are located. So hopefully that will help you to hear them a little bit better. Some of the EVP evidence captured Vicki alone in the fire museum. Vicki is heard stating that she is going to set her audio recorder down while she walks downstairs when a very breathy hello is clearly heard. That audio, when I listened to it, I didn't hear anything. So we're not going to play that one because I didn't hear anything at all. Vicki sitting alone at the mass grave in the fire cemetery. In the beginning of the following audio clip, you can hear a gust of wind and then immediately following is a whisper stating, I assumed you'd come here. A few seconds later, Vicki is heard telling those buried there that they have not been forgotten. So here we'll play it for you. Your name is not on one of these plaques, but you have not been forgotten. And then we'll play it again. 
Your name is not on one of these plaques, but you have not been forgotten. Vicky sitting alone along the river at a spot where many of the victims died, either by drowning, hypothermia, breathing in scalding ash, or simply burning in the water. Vicky is heard initially in this clip, and after a few seconds, and a strange hissing sound, a female voice clearly introduces herself, saying, I am Rachel. So here is that clip. And then we'll play it for you again. All right, so whatever whatever you guys think about that. Tori relates her Pashtigo experiences. Me and my mom were driving through Pashtigo. We got by the cemetery and saw an all-black figure walking across the street. We stopped, and they soon disappeared. I've not seen this since that day. I'd had a lot of ghost experiences while living in Pashtigo, Wisconsin. In the Brookview Village Trailer Park, a lot is haunted. There seems to be little kids running through there. And somebody going by the username wannabe also had experiences in Pashtigo. My friend and I were staying the night at another friend of ours house on Acanto Avenue. The day was seemingly normal, but when we walked in our house, a feeling of terror overcame us. Later that night while we were sleeping, I was awoken to a strange black figure hovering over our friend. I quickly woke my other friend up and showed her the apparition. We tried to wake her up, but as soon as we did, the apparition disappeared. This encounter was very unexplainable and probably paranormal. We've lived in this town our whole life, and without a doubt in our mind, Pashtigo, Wisconsin is haunted. Did these great fires all start on the same day and wreak havoc just by chance? Did the earth pass through the tail of a comet and these cities were hit with bits of debris? Do the spirits of those lost in these fires still walk the earth? Are the cities of Holland, Port Huron, Manistee, Chicago, and Peshtigo haunted by the victims of these fires? That is for you to decide. Just fascinating, really unique piece of history that I didn't know anything about. And even more interesting to have a few hauntings that are related to this. And I'm sure there are other hauntings that are related to this, but we just either don't have them documented or it's harder to find them. So if you guys hear of any hauntings in some of those cities that seem to have happened or date back to the 1870s, we'd love to hear them. Our next episode as we continue our march towards Halloween and creepy locations, Denise, the French catacombs. Very cool. Another one of those places, just like the Tower of London, when you mention it, a chill goes up your spine. We also want to point out there that we do have a couple of weeks before Halloween. So if there were those of you who want to share your true ghost experiences that you've had, don't have to just be at historical locations. You can either email those to us or if you would like to tell them yourself, we'll set you up to record them in the next couple weeks so that we can have it ready for the Halloween special. Do you have a review to share from iTunes? Five stars from Charlie in KC. Great spooky history. I love this podcast. I like the format. Most podcasts are single story and this gives more. It's extra fun when they cover a place I've been. And I happen to know that that is more than likely Charlie from the Insight Podcast. If you're not listening to that, you really should be. It is excellent. Also, we've mentioned Mike Brown's podcast, Pleasing Terrors. I finally got a chance to listen to it, Denise. I told everybody that if it was anything like his tours, it was good. Oh, my gosh. If you guys like lore, you're going to love 
pleasing terrors. It's 10 times better. Excellent production, wonderful writing. Mike does a great job of telling a story. Spooky as hell. The way he like intermingles things, so it's a couple stories that go together. It's just, it's a lot of fun. The first one was Little Red Riding Hood. And somehow that went into the Cecil Hotel, which went into Elisa Lamb ending up dead. It was just fabulous. And then the next one covered something that we will be covering later on this month. We had a request from one of our listeners to cover, I'm not going to tell you guys, but our executive producers know what's coming in the calendar here in October. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Leanne and Becca. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.